Well, someone said, you know, when you lead us in prayer, if your prayer is short, I'll pray with you. If your prayer is long, I'll pray for you. If it's very long, I'll pray against you. What happens when we pray? I want to take a look at Daniel in the lion's den, that familiar story. Use it a little bit of a case study this morning. Remember, Daniel is a, what we call apocalyptic literature, and three things happen in apocalyptic literature. Uncovering, uncovering that's what apocalyptic means, revealing. Something gets uncovered, a curtain gets pulled back. Uh, transformation, um, God acts decisively inside of history to transform the situation. And then uh, representation. Apocalyptic literature is most recognizable by all the figures and symbols uh, that you know, it's, it's not to be read literally, but these things point to the indescribable, the mysterious, and the beautiful. So, so we're experiencing that as we read Daniel. By the way, I want to encourage you to keep reading. We have one more week together. Go ahead and finish the book. Read through chapter uh, 12. Uh, and uh, what I want to do today, though, is focus in on prayer, kind of pull back the apocalyptic curtain, so to speak, on what happens when people like you and me uh, pray. And I think as, as we look at the lion's den, we're gonna see there are multiple layers there. There's a layer, there's, a, there's a, kind of a struggle that's happening inside the, the den. There's a struggle that's happening actually beyond our view in the heavens and another one in our lives. So let's look at these three layers. First layer, there's a struggle in the lion's den. Now this is a familiar story uh, for us. And if you know this story, you know that Prayer changes what happens in the den, changes the situation. Now, let's uh, open up our Bibles and read. I'm just gonna uh, invite you to stand with me and read part of this story, kind of the heart of it. And uh, it's on page 723 of the Pew Bible. But let's turn to Daniel chapter six, verses 16 through 23. I don't know if you can, do we have enough? Do we need a little house light there so you can see here? Here it comes. Uh, when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. We're gonna read 16 down to verse 23. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Then the king gave the command and Daniel was brought and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you faithfully serve deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that David, Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. So, so you see the situation gets changed. Um, 
By the way, this is the year 539 BC. A new king has come into power. His name is Darius. We think this is the throne name for Cyrus the Great. Two names, one person. Uh, Darius comes to power. Daniel's uh, fame comes to his attention. He promotes Daniel, wants to make him prime minister of the Persian Empire, Medes and the Persian, in, over, uh, from in the capital Babylon. And this provokes the jealousy and rivalry and anti-Semitism, again, of a number of these other political figures who concoct a law that will entrap David. It's a law that says for the next month, nobody can pray for it to anybody except for the king, uh, Darius. Darius the king signs the law. He seems to be kind of clueless, not thinking about Daniel at the moment. And then all these others who are trying to trap Daniel bring him in before the king. And the king goes, oh my gosh. Uh, of course, Daniel's broken the law. He keeps praying. He prays three times a day, every day. And it was easy to catch him. And they, they bring him in. And now the king's got to throw him into the lion's den, which you know, he does. But we notice that Daniel's praying. Verse 11 the king, even the king is praying to Daniel's God, verse 16. And in the den, nobody's eating. All right, and that's good for Daniel um, because it means he's going to survive. So the situation in the den gets changed. Now, that's the way I want prayer to work in my life. Uh, right? Wouldn't that be nice? There was a guy who was late for an interview. Traffic was bad. Couldn't find a parking place. He's circling around the block. He's breaking out in hives. Suddenly turns to prayer, becomes, you know, he finds religion. And he says, God, uh, if you exist, will you get me a parking place, please? I mean, I will quit drinking and cussing. I'll go to church. I'll volunteer. And just before he could say amen, a, a spot opens up right in front of him. He says, oh, never mind. I just found one. <laughs> Pulls right in, right? Kind of the way we are with prayer, right? If we pray and God changes the situation, we go, whoa, that's really cool. I should try that more often. Uh, if we don't pray, the situation stays just the same as far as we can tell. It becomes harder to find time to pray. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of busy. Um, we want prayer to change the situation in exactly the way it does uh, for Daniel. As I was reading this text this week, I thought, you know, what if they passed a law against prayer here in Seattle? Would there be enough evidence to convict me of prayer? And I'm thinking, probably not. My quick on the fly prayers probably wouldn't get me into much trouble with uh, Darius the king. But there was enough evidence for Daniel, and it did make a difference in his life. If you look at verse 22, you'll see that what Daniel says God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Wow, God sent an angel as an answer to his prayer. So the situation changes. Now, let's pull the curtain back. This is where it gets a little strange, all right? I'm just gonna warn you, spoiler alert, this is gonna be challenging for us. So we saw that in the first layer that there's a struggle in the lion's den. When you pull the curtain back, you're also gonna see there's a struggle in the heavens, a struggle above and beyond and behind this little scene in the lion's den. And if you keep reading Daniel, you're gonna see what's behind the curtain. Now, most of us don't keep reading Daniel, right? I mean, if, if you've ever read Daniel before, you, you love the first six chapters, great stories, and these are the court narratives. When you get to chapter seven, you're like, uh, we got monsters here and things with many heads and teeth and horns. I think I'm done with Daniel. It's been great. But there's another six chapters. All of them are apocalyptic visions. And they're, they kind of overlap in time. So I want to take you to the, the apocalyptic visions that overlap in time with this moment when Daniel's in the lion's den so you can see what's happening in the heavens. 
above Daniel when he prays. To see it, let's just double-click on the word angel in verse 22. Just double-click on angel. When Daniel prays, we're told, heaven dispatches an angel. And so immediately we see that prayer pulls an angel into Daniel's situation. But what we're about to see is that prayer pulls Daniel into the angel's situation. Have you ever thought about that? May I? Probably not. The angel has a situation. What is the angel's situation? Well, I'm gonna show you two windows, first in nine, chapter nine, and then in chapter 10. In chapter nine, we, Daniel is praying again. In chapter nine, we have a long prayer. We're gonna look at it more next week, but chapter nine actually gives us the words of Daniel's prayer. He's praying that prayer in 539 BC, the same time that he's in the lion's den. Probably that, that prayer is the kind of prayer that got Daniel caught and thrown into the lion's den to begin with. Chapter six tells us why Daniel is praying. Chapter nine tells us what he's praying. So let's look at chapter nine, verse 21. We're just gonna look at a part of it today. While I was speaking in prayer, that's Daniel speaking, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen before in a vision, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He came and said to me, Daniel, I have now come out to give you, you wisdom and understanding. At the, listen to this. At the beginning of your supplications, a word went out, means from heaven. A word went out from heaven. And I have come to declare it uh, for you are greatly beloved. So this is angel. Jesus is at the beginning of your supplications. He starts as I was speaking. At the beginning, it's, the, Gabriel says, you started praying and all of a sudden something happened in heaven. I was dispatched with a word for you from heaven the moment you started to pray. And now I'm here to share this word with you. So I've got information for you. Yeah. And, it, and it was triggered by his prayer. Now, who's Gabriel? I don't know. Um, but Gabriel doesn't come up a lot. But this is the only place in the whole Old Testament that angels are named. The, 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 the name Gabriel means God is my warrior. Some kind of an, a military figure in the heavens. Gabriel's the guy, by the way, in the New Testament who shows up with good news for Mary. Uh, in Luke chapter one, it's, it's Gabriel who comes with a word uh, for her as well. At the beginning of your prayer, a word was sent. Now let's look at the second window in Daniel chapter 10. So I don't think you have to turn your page, but there 727, we see verse 11. Notice uh, another angel uh, comes. Actually, there's another encounter with, I believe, the same angel. This angel is not named, but we think it's probably Gabriel now. Chapter 10, Daniel is praying again. This is three years later. So this is 536 BC. He's praying and fasting. It's a 21-day prayer and fast, we're told. And on this particular day, at the end of that, he's walking along the River Tigris, which is you know, one of the two great rivers that defines uh, the Babylon, Tigris and Euphrates. He's walking along Tigris and an angel shows up. We think again, this is probably Gabriel. And notice how the angel addresses, same way as before, Daniel, greatly beloved. That's, that, that's the address. And then if you just skip down to the second half of verse 12, he starts, to, he starts to speak. I have come because of your words. Again, your words triggered this visit. I've come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia 
Now, apparently this is another angelic being. Uh, behind the Persian Empire and the Persian king, there's apparently a spirit, and this Gabriel is engaging with that spirit. The prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. Notice, that's the exact time period of the fast. The whole time, Daniel is fasting and praying for 21 days, Gabriel is locked in some kind of a cosmic struggle with a spirit of darkness. So then Gabriel continues, Michael, one of the chief priests, in other words, on the 21st day, Michael, one of the chief priests, we call it archangel, Michael comes up other places in the New Testament, casting demons out of heaven, by the way. He also seems to be some kind of a, a military figure, came to me to help me. And I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia in this kind of cosmic battle that's going on. And he also said, now just jump down to verse 20. Do you know why I have come to you? Uh, This is Gabriel speaking. Now I must return to fight against the prince of Persia. I'm going back to the front lines. Uh, And when I'm through with him, the prince of Greece will come. By the way, if you read the rest of this section, this is one long from from, uh, chapter 10 all the way through to 12, one huge vision. He's gonna go back through those four kingdoms he's been talking about before. Uh, uh, What's the first one? Babylon, Babylon. Medes and Persians, Greek and Romans. And so the, the, the conquering force after the Persians and the Medes will be Greece, Alexander the Great. So he's, he's making allusion to this coming struggle. And when I'm through with him, the prince of Greece will come, but I'm to tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no one with me who contends against these princes except Michael, your prince. Now, apparently uh, Michael was a, kind of a defender and, and representative of Israel itself. That's why he says your prince. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to support and strengthen him. First year of Darius the Mede is when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Now, what is this? What does all this mean? What's this, what's this saying? Well, what we're seeing when we pull back the curtains and look through these two windows is that there's a struggle in heaven. And somehow, and I'm not here to tell you how it works, <laughs> when Daniel prays, it activates it resources, it strengthens the powers of goodness and righteousness and justice and beauty. Wow. I mean, this is really interesting to think about this. I might actually want to spend more time in prayer after I read these verses. The Lord is allowing Daniel to see the power of his prayers in another realm. It's not just what happens in the den, in your crisis, in your situation. That's not the whole story. That's just a piece of it. It may provoke the prayers, but the prayers may have cosmic effects in the heavenly places. Just think about that. You could change the situation in heaven when you pray. Now, think about Daniel. Uh, Every day, Daniel gets up. And he prays. No, three times a day he prays. That we read earlier that he climbs these stairs, he goes up to the roof of his apartment, and he has a, a room, a breezy room, a small room with open windows. You can see the city. I think of Alibaba. And uh, he's up there on the roof, and, and he falls to his knees. He kneels, and, and he prays. And we don't, think of, I don't, we don't know how long he's been doing this, but uh, Daniel's 82 years old right now. And he's 82, he's an octogenarian. And um, he came, he was exiled at age 16. So it could be he's been doing this a long time. And what, what does he get for it when he prays? Well, he's gotten some interpretations to some dreams. 
he's gotten some promotions. He's gotten out of the lion's den once. That's good. He's gotten words from the Lord, messages from the Lord. That's good. But other than that, not much, I imagine. I think for him, it's just kind of life as usual as an exile. He's still in exile, 82 years old. I imagine he's been praying to get back to Jerusalem. That prayer has apparently not been answered, but all along the way, something dramatic is happening. He has been able to participate in this cosmic struggle. It's like the Lord is saying, Daniel, when you pray, things change in heaven. Daniel, when they came to arrest you, there was a battle at that moment in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and the commander of the host of heaven was locked in battle with the spirit of Persia and the forces of darkness. And you prayed in that little room on the roof. And when you prayed, Daniel, Gabriel says, I was sent to help him. I stood up to support and strengthen Michael because you prayed. And then three years later, Gabriel says, you fasted and prayed for 21 days and you had no idea why, but we did. In heaven, we knew there was a campaign, a great campaign, and it was coming against me, Gabriel, and the evil spirit of Persia was attacking me and I was losing strength, but you prayed. And Michael, the archangel, Michael, the big famous one, he came to deliver me. He came to push the evil one back because you prayed, Daniel. Daniel, I don't really understand it, but the ancient of days... The Holy One has made it so. Your prayers have great power. Your prayers change the situation in the heavenly places. Whoa. That's what Daniel hears if you keep reading uh, the book into these visions. There's a struggle in the heavens and you and I get to participate when we pray. I just want you to think about that. Just absorb that for a moment. When you say, Father, lead me not into temptation. When you say, Father, restore this marriage. Father, release me from this eating disorder. Father, open the eyes of my neighbor so that they can see the goodness of Jesus. Father, give us peace in this world. Father, give us unity in your church. Father, give us this city for Jesus Christ. Father, We pray in Jesus' name. Something gets released. God is telling you, you're releasing my power in heaven. You are strengthening the forces of light, the armies of goodness. Principalities and powers are rising and falling at your word, at your command, in my name, Jesus says. Please pray. We need you. We have invited you to join a battle that you don't understand, but someday you will. And it's just that that Daniel kind of got to look behind the curtain. And the book is written to encourage the rest of us so that we too can see behind. And this is what Jesus is teaching as well. Jesus comes in the Gospel of Mark, you know, his first miracle, and it's a little bit embarrassing for some of us. It's an exorcism. His first confrontation with the powers of darkness and, and then, you know, his, his disciples one day are wrestling with a poor boy who's sick. And Jesus comes and says, nothing but prayer can cast this one out. And they said, wow, even the unclean spirits obey him. 
And he tells them why. He says, I have bound the strong man, the evil one, in heaven. And, and that has given us the freedom of a liberation movement here on earth to participate through prayer in this coming kingdom. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, the, he says to his disciples, stay awake and pray with me. And then he prays, not my will, but thine. And Luke describes this with the word agony, which doesn't mean suffering. There's suffering involved. But agony, it's the Greek word agonia, it means combat. Combat. Struggle. Why is he struggling? What's the combat? It's not that Jesus is afraid to die. Jesus knew he would die. It's that Jesus was now confronting the powers of darkness as he approached the cross, the evil one itself. And in his prayer, he was already on the battlefield. He was inviting his disciples to, to join that combat with him just through their prayers. So St. Paul, who understands this, would later write in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. Why? Well, he's already told us in verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Pray in the spirit in every prayer and supplication because you're confronting evil in the heavenly places. Your prayers change the situation in heaven. Yes, they change things in the lion's dens of our lives, in the crises. Yes, they change things in the heavenly places, but there's one other change, one other place, one other layer, and that is our lives. Because let's be honest, there is a struggle in our lives. Have you ever considered, and I know I'm speaking to a bunch of people who are just like me who are modern, enlightened people, and we tend to think that, you know, if you can't see it, taste it, smell it, hear it, it doesn't exist, right? That's what we believe. We live there. But I just want to ask you to consider, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe there's something going on in and around your life that you don't understand, that you can't perceive? This is what this text is suggesting. I got a call several years ago from a business executive a man I had had some conversations with, but I don't think he ever had called me before. He's actually a childhood friend of my wife's from Cincinnati, back in Cincinnati. Um, actually, I think he was a former boyfriend of my wife's, but I can't get her to confirm or deny that. But <laughs> this guy had been very successful as a businessman. I, I, he called and set up an appointment. I was a little nervous, like, what, what did he want to talk to me about? And he, he said, George, I have something I've got to tell you. But he, he'd had a near-death experience. I've talked to two people in my life that have had incredible near-death experiences. He was a pilot, owns his own plane, went down, and he died. And he met Jesus. And, and, and I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what you make of this. But he said, George, I, I have to tell you, I had conversations with Jesus. I don't know how long his period of time was, his sense of time. He said, I have detail. I can give detailed conversations with Jesus. And I came back, and my life has been changed. And, and it was clear to me that it had been changed. Uh, his relationship to his family, his relationship to his work, his relationship with me, he was calling everybody he could find. And essentially his message was, George, it's real. It's real. I'm gonna tell you, Jesus is real. Uh, heaven is real. The power is real. The love 
is real. The conversation with God, it's real. And I was like, well, I think I, think I believe this guy. And, and this is what Daniel, this is, what, this is what's happened to Daniel. He's going to exiles. He's going, look, this is real. Don't mess around. We've got to take this seriously. Prayer begins to change Daniel's life. Without prayer, there's no Daniel. We never hear his name. But it's what changes his life. He says, and this is kind of the theme verse for me of the book of Daniel, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That's what we need today. But it's the people who know their God. It's the people who are on their knees in conversation with God, receiving a word from the Lord like he does and speaking one back like he does. So how might prayer change our lives too? Let me just suggest two things and I'll get out of here. The first is a prayer of surrender. We get to begin with a prayer of surrender because Jesus is king and he has won a cosmic battle against the powers of darkness. And when we approach him, we need to approach him with respect. This is why Daniel kneels. It's a posture of surrender. I've been so amazed at how much of the gospel shows up in this book written 500 plus years before Jesus was born. We met the son of man. This is the term that Jesus uses for himself. We met him walking under judgment in the fires of judgment with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter three. And then we met the son of man again in Daniel 7, exalted, having been defeated by the powers of darkness, he is exalted and he stands in glory before the ancient of days as our human representative, the son of man now in this place of glory, this place of belovedness for us. And then, by the way, if you keep reading, you'll get to Daniel 12 and you'll read about the resurrection from the dead. Uh, We'll read that in verse two, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And we read in Daniel that he knows which one he is because he said yes to the son of man. And it's for that reason that every time one of the angelic beings approaches him, he describes him as Daniel, greatly beloved. Because he's heard the gospel and he's believed it. He's prayed that prayer of surrender. And let me ask you, I have to ask you, I want to ask you as your pastor, have you prayed that prayer of surrender? There's nothing more important than surrendering to Jesus who gave his life for you. He's won the victory over your life. He's already won it. So why why wouldn't we surrender to him? Just take a minute and think about what we learn about him in the book of Colossians. I love this book. In Colossians 2, we read, God forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He sets this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. He has shamed these powers and authorities and principalities in order to save you, to honor you, and shame them. How's he done it? He's erased the record that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he says, uh, so, so let me just, there's a record apparently of everything that I've ever done that was complicit with evil. It's a record of my rebellion against a good and holy and loving God. And God is essentially saying to you, what do you want me to do with that record, right? Um, I can pin it to your chest and it can be like your resume and you can try to fix it yourself 
or I can nail it to the cross of my son, Jesus Christ, who died so that it will be canceled. You choose. But the good news is that record has been canceled in the life, death, and resurrection of our King, Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to write in, first, in Colossians 1.13, through Jesus Christ, God rescued us from the power of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You were children of wrath, Paul says. You were part of the kingdom of darkness until your rescuing king came and gave his life on the cross and you said yes to him. When you surrendered to him, you get transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. My beloved Daniel, my beloved you, Say yes to Jesus. That's what happens when we surrender. If you have never kneeled before Jesus and said yes to him in this way, today is the day to do that. Then there's the prayer of engagement. This is the second thing to do. The prayer of engagement, to engage in in this struggle of prayer on an ongoing basis, in the lion's dens of life, in the heavenly places, and in our own lives. It's really simple. Actually, here we just do what Daniel did. We show up in prayer three times a day, or whatever it is for you. Daniel was clueless for a while. He didn't have any idea of the power of his prayers, but he was faithful. And God began to change his life through that. I'm so happy to tell you that we have a new young adult ministry that's coming under our roof. It's already thriving. Uh, It's called The Stable because it it came out of a group of leaders from The Inn, uh, which is uh, our college ministry. And so now we have The Inn and The Stable. And uh, it's a wonderful ministry, and there's room for you, by the way, if you're a young adult. Um, it's led by a young man named Toms. And um, it came to my attention that Toms is a man of prayer, that Toms is getting up at 5.30 every morning just to talk with Jesus. And if you ask him why, he'll tell you that uh, last fall, he went to Kansas City to, to participate with the International House of Prayer, which is a community in Kansas City that's promising, is faithfully praying as a community 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when Tom's was there, he says, I had an encounter with Jesus that's changed my life. He had an experience of Jesus, an experience of Jesus's presence and power in his life and it's changed his life. He calls it like a second conversion. Now I want to tell you, what if you had that too? What if I had that too? We talked a little bit about what it means for us as a church to move forward in a changing world that cares very little about church. Still cares a lot about Jesus, by the way, but very little about church and Christianity. And there are all kinds of people who are offering all these technical solutions and fixes. I want to tell you, it's not technical at all. It's spiritual. It's, 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 you know, the only way forward, the only way we go forward is with Jesus. We need a savior. And And to find Jesus as our king, we have to be on our knees. We have to surrender to him. Just imagine being a part of a church that that was on its knees before Jesus. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for us? This is the call and invitation God has given us through Daniel. If you ask Toms why he prays, we asked him this week. Here's what he said. Because Jesus is the only one who can quench the thirst of my heart. No amount of money, fame, or status can do that. Every need and desire of my heart is wholly met in his presence. Listen to this. Contrary to popular belief, he says, transformation is not a proactive process. It's a reactive one that occurs as I behold the beauty of our King Jesus. 
Your transformation, my transformation is a reactive process that occurs as we behold the beauty of King Jesus. And that happens in prayer. Normally I close in prayer, but I want to invite you to close this time of God's word in prayer. I'm going to have a little bit of space, of quiet space, maybe some music or silence. I just invite you to bring yourself into Jesus's presence. You might close your eyes or bow your head or kneel or whatever you would choose to do. And I would, I would just ask you to, to, to listen. Lord, send me a word. Listen. And then speak word back. Respond. It, it, react. If you haven't ever surrendered to Jesus, you can do that now. Just tell him that you, you thank him for dying for your sin and that you're in because of him. I would recommend you tell me or someone else that you've made that decision today so we can encourage you and help you grow in that relationship. Maybe for you, it's about engaging in prayer as you get that word. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, renew you, challenge you, and encourage you.